This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the Women in Western podcast hosted by Christina Miller and Cheyenne Draves a lifestyle podcast where we discuss everything from faith to family, business, and fitness with emphasis on the glam and grit of women in the Western lifestyle community. Grab a coffee and go for a walk or a drive. Let's chat and inspire each other to be the best version of ourselves. Happy Wednesday, Women in Western fam. We are so excited to be back again this week for another episode and like we do every week, we wanted to touch on a couple of our highlights from the week. So, Shai, I'll let you go ahead and get started. Hello. Yes, we are so excited to be back with another episode of the Women in Western podcast. And yeah, to touch on my highlight of the week, um, you know, we're coming down from the Easter weekend. It was an amazing weekend just spending time with family and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I think my highlight of the week has been the fact that we have been starting to rope a little bit more with friends. Um, Josh has some really good friends that he works for that have an arena and helomatic and steers. So it's been really, really fun to haul our horses over there a couple nights a week and go rope. Um, I am not a team roper by any means. I have very minimal experience (laughs) doing so. But it's been really fun to get some pointers from them. And my husband gets to ride his horses and do that. And we've just had really good uh, had a lot of fun with them. Um, those friends have a daughter that's the same age as Josephine, so it's been fun having the girls together. So I think that's been the highlight of my week is just being able to get on my horse and rope some more. So Christina, what's been your highlight of the week? I think the biggest highlight of my week was my husband got to have a couple of extra days off. And so spending some downtime with him, we got to go to a really cool new place called the Stockman's Club. And there was a small, like, intimate concert, and the food was amazing. Um, What portions that I could eat for the evening. Got to spend some time with some really good friends for Easter dinner. And um, just some, it was just some really good relaxation time, some downtime with my husband. So I really just took some time off to enjoy that, and that's that was great. How fun. I think you and I both had a really nice time just unplugging this weekend and truly enjoying our time on Sunday because both you and I just ended a fitness challenge um, on Saturday. It was our last day. So yes, thankfully on Sunday, we both got to indulge a little bit and enjoy some treats we've been refraining from. And we'll definitely touch on that next week for an episode where we cover kind of what that fitness challenge was. Yes, I'm really excited to share with y'all, but not quite yet. We're really, really excited about today's interview. It's our first interview ever. Yes, it is our first interview, and recording was so much fun, and we're just so excited for y'all to be able to hear her story. Yes, so without further ado, we're going to introduce Aurora Borja, who is actually one of both of our really close friends. She lives local to where Christina is, so they got to have a little fun girl time and be together while we we were recording on Saturday. We're super excited about this interview. I feel like you guys are going to get a lot of value from it, especially those of you 
that are moms that are dealing with, um, you know, either postpartum anxiety or moms that are pregnant that are feeling a certain way during your pregnancy. Um, she really did a good job of making a point to let everyone know that is struggling through hard times that you're not alone. So I'm going to quit talking. We'll let her do all the talking about that. Without further ado, let's get into our interview with Aurora Borja. Welcome to the podcast, our dear friend, Aurora. Aurora, we are so thankful that you are the guinea pig as our first podcast guest. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. I'm really excited to be here, and I admire you guys so much for starting this. It's, I know, kind of daunting, but I'm really happy to help you guys out and uh, be here. Well, we're so excited to have you here today. Um, since we're all kind of friends and we know each other, why don't you tell us a little bit how we know each other? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, Cheyenne and I are from the same town. If you listen to Cheyenne's first episode, you'll know that she is from outside of LA County. Uh, we grew up in the same town together. It's a pretty big town, so not like we went to the same high school or anything. Um, but we did grow up in the same area. Uh, we grew up in the same writing program, which she talked about last episode, uh, the California Rangers uh, we grew up on that team together. So that's just something that kind of bonded us together. And then um, we kind of became closer in our early 20s. Uh, Cheyenne was working as a vet tech and I was trying to get into the industry and kind of struggling a little bit um, and basically asked her how I could get in, how I could kind of get my foot in the door and I actually took her job when she moved to Colorado <laughs> And uh, worked for that vet that she had been working for. So we got really close after that. Um, our lives have always kind of seemed to be kind of simpatico since then. Um, we got married the same year and we had babies the same year. So ever since then, I just feel like she has literally become like my soul sister. Um, she knows pretty much everything about my life uh, and She's As just you always know been everything about my life. <laughs> yeah, I listened to the Shine episode and I was like, uh, yeah, I already know all this. So, um, but yeah, so basically, that's me and Cheyenne. We've had a long, gosh, fifteen years of history together. And then at Cheyenne's wedding was actually the first time I met Christina. It was really kind of brief because Christina is a little bit more to herself, and I think I'm a little bit more to myself. Um, definitely more than Cheyenne is. Um, so we didn't really talk that much at Cheyenne's wedding or her um, batch party or anything. But I did meet you, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, is that good? Yeah, you're probably like, oh, this girl. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did meet Christina there. And then um, I don't remember exactly what the timeline was. But after the freeze in 2021, which if you live in Texas, you'll you say no more. It was rough. Um I reached out to you and I actually showered here because my pipes froze and broke and uh, I couldn't shower. And I was also five months pregnant. So I actually reached out to you and I was like, hey, can I come shower at your guys' place? And actually, no, that's not even it. Before in 2020, we went to the American together. Oh, that was yeah, it. Yeah, we did. Okay, <laughs> scratch that. No. I first met Christina or no, I didn't even first meet Christina. I first kind of connected with Christina because I had an extra ticket to the American. Exactly. That's what it was. 
Well, I don't think our listeners know, but you did grow up in, and you're going to touch on this later, you did grow up in Southern California with me, but you moved to Texas the same town Christina did. Yeah. So that's why you guys were in the same area. And I was like, you guys need to be friends because you live there together. Yeah, definitely. And I moved to Stephenville, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but I moved to Stephenville knowing nobody here. Like, I had never been here. I had never heard of it. Um, so Cheyenne definitely kind of like solicited Christina into being my friend. And yeah, we went to the American. And then the following year, I used y'all's shower because I was very pregnant and very uh, frustrated with having no running water. <laughs> and very cold. Yes, and very cold. Yeah, 15 years of friendship, Aurora. I'm so thankful that we've become closer in our older age it, it kind of sucks that we didn't get super close until I moved away from California and we started our lives that way but um it has been awesome having our lives kind of coincide like that which is why I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because I know your story and I know um that you have a lot of value that you can add to people's lives and based on that you know like you said you didn't really have a lot of friends and family when you moved to um Texas and we'll touch on that later about your move and all of that but we do kind of have like a makeshift family in our friendships do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah of course I think one thing I've learned in the past um like three years would be that you definitely don't have to be blood to be considered family um your family especially you and Josh and Josephine and even like your parents like your mom is always on my Facebook. Like she's a big fan. She's always like, and always engaging in my stuff. And I just feel so supported by your family. Um, so yeah, you're half. And then moving out here. Um, like I said, I had nobody. Um, so once that friendship kind of blossomed with Christina, uh, it was great. And then her husband, Joe and my husband, Chris are like buddies. Now they rope, they, um, weld together, uh, at my house. Joe has built us all sorts of cool stuff. He just built us a deck. He built our front entryway. He built our well house. So I think that they've really bonded too. And then um, obviously Christina and I were friends throughout my pregnancy and she's been there for me now uh, as a mom. And she was there, you know, weeks after my son was born. And I now consider you guys Boudreaux's aunties. Boudreaux's my son. Um, you guys are his aunties and you guys are not related, even though I think that when sometimes when we go out, people think that like Chris and Christina are related because if you don't know what Christina looks like, she is Islander and my husband is Islander. So I think sometimes when we're all out together, people are like, what, what's going on here? Like, it's just kind of funny. It is funny because sometimes Chris and I do look a little bit alike. So even though I didn't get to meet y'all when you very first moved to Stephenville, I have seen all the amazing growth um, that you guys have experienced since you've moved here in the last year or so that we've gotten closer and the amazing life that y'all are building and now that you have Boudreaux and all the exciting goals and dreams that y'all have. So tell us a little bit about um, yourself and how you created your dream ranch life here in Texas. Yeah, of course. So basically, I grew up a horse girl. Um I always, you know, wanted to ride horses. I didn't start riding till I was uh, like nine or 10. Um, I was never able to have my own horse. Uh, my parents, kind of like Cheyenne's parents in her episode, we were very much middle class. I never felt like I wanted for anything. You know, they always made sure that we were able to do really cool things and go places. 
Um, however, that was just not an investment that my parents were willing to make. Um, but I did grow up on that drill team with Cheyenne. I dabbled in other disciplines like hunter jumpers and dressage. So I do feel like I have a pretty, um, vast kind of experience. I'm always open to, uh, having new experiences with different disciplines, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but in those disciplines, I never really felt like I, um, fit in, you know, I, I wasn't wealthy, which growing up in the hunter jumper circuit in Los Angeles is something that's kind of a requirement. Um, like Bella Hadid and Gigi Hadid would like do hunter jumper. And I found that out later when I was working, um, in the equine medicine industry, but like, that's kind of the level that you needed to be at. And, um, I had friends that competed very, uh, very often they were always gone at shows and stuff. And that was just never an option for me. And that's fine. I don't, I now know looking back that I, that's not what I belonged in. And I could tell that um, as a young kind of teenager. Um, and so and after high school, I um, rode horses basically, uh, basically as a loper, you know, people that didn't have time to ride their horses every day, I would ride them for money. It kind of goes back into that thing. Like I wanted to do this so bad, but I was not able to have my own horse. So I was willing to kind of work harder um, you know, riding, cleaning, doing whatever I needed to do so that I could at least just throw my leg over a horse a couple times a week. Um, I took a break from horses between the ages of like 19 to 22. I was in a relationship with somebody that did not have anything to do with horses. Um, so I, I kind of found out after that relationship that I really missed it. And it was something that I knew I didn't want to go without. Uh, ever again in my life. So I met my husband. <laughs> I was actually working as a vet tech for the vet that he used for his horses. And it kind of just took off from there. He uh, was team roping out in California. And basically, it just blew up. And I found myself completely immersed in the Western lifestyle. Uh, we dated for a little less than a year and were engaged in secret. <laughs> um, and we actually got married about a month later. That was also secret. <laughs> um, and uh, we moved to Texas that December. So this was all in 2019. So we got engaged, married, and moved in 2019 to Stephenville. And that's where I reside now. We have about four acres. We have our own roping arena um, that's pretty much just been finished. Like I said, Christina's husband, Joe, built us this pretty cool deck. Um, so I get to sit on that with my son and watch the boys rope. And then uh, I pretty much just warm my husband's horse up for him because that's all the time I have as a mom of a nine-month-old with no childcare or family to help at the moment. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate the life that I'm living. I have two pet, basically cows. Um, I have a Highland steer. His name is Henry. He was my first cow. Um, my husband got him for me kind of as a moving present when we first got to Stephenville. And I had basically nothing. I had no hobbies and no anything. So he was like, I know you've always wanted one of these. I called them fluffy cows at the time. So he got me a fluffy cow. Um, and if you follow Dandy Lashes, you have seen Henry. He has been in Dandy Lashes shoots. He's a, he's a Dandy Lashes brand ambassador. 
Henry is definitely a key to the Dandy Lashes book. <laughs> and then I also have a mini Hereford, um, who I am going to be starting a breeding program with in the future. We can talk about that later. But yeah, that's basically our ranch life. We have our we have three horses. Two of them are at our place, and we just love it. We're kind of up away from the town. And to me, it's just like our own little slice of heaven. Yeah, knowing you in your early 20s and being, you know, you being one of my best friends in our early 20s, watching you meet Chris and, you know, text me that I kind of like this guy and not only seeing your love for him grow and in, in your guys' relationship, but watching your love for horses um, and your love for the Western lifestyle start to rekindle through that. I just knew right away. I was like, this is the guy for Aurora. Like they're going to do big things. Yeah, I think I texted you the first time Chris let me ride his nice uh, his nice mare, who was his head horse at the time. And I was like, yeah, he just let me ride his really nice head horse. And we'd only been dating like two weeks. And you literally, I'm pretty sure you texted me, marry him. <laughs> I think I so, did too. There you go. I love it. Well, you guys are living your dream life there in Texas on, you know, your place with your roping arena, all your steers, your hobby cows and your horses. I love that for you. And transitioning into one of your biggest accomplishments of your life, your son, Boudreaux. Um, tell us a little bit about your pregnancy and your birth experience, because I know that you have a story I feel like a lot of people can get value from and relate to. Yeah. Okay. So this, I'm going to try not to get emotional because, you know, anything that has to do with my son is, it's a lot for me to talk about. Just it's not something you really understand, I think, until you're a mother, but, you know, you start talking about how much you love your kid, and then all of a sudden you're, like, crying, you know? We're all for getting emotional on this pod, because, as you know, I cried during my intro episode, so. Yeah, so basically, um, this is just, it's a lot. So, um, I got pregnant. We weren't trying. It just, you know, it's going to happen, and it did, and I think that in this whole experience, one thing that I have found is really like a trending theme in my life is that you don't always have to do things in the order that society says you should do them in. Um, taking the road less traveled is not a bad thing. Um, so when I got pregnant, my parents didn't even know that I was married. So not only was I facing the extremely daunting conversation of telling my parents that I was pregnant. I was also having to tell them that I had been married for over a year. Um, so that was a thing and it ended up working out fine. Uh, my parents were very gracious and chose not to be hurt. And we just moved our relationship in a positive direction. Um, after finding out both that Chris and I were married and that I was pregnant um, but that's not something that everybody knew, you know? Um, so, so I got pregnant and I had had our venue because even though we eloped, I still wanted to have that wedding. I still wanted to have, wear the dress. I had already bought the dress. Cheyenne was there. Um, so I had already had the dress. I had already booked the venue and then I found out I was pregnant. So I kind of was facing this like, okay, well, do I just cancel everything and we take some pictures in this white dress? Or do I go through with this and do something positive because I don't want to harbor any resentment towards my future baby? You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to look back a year from now and be like, wow, I didn't get to do my wedding 
my dream wedding because I was pregnant. And I was like, that's not going to be an option for me. We're going to do this and we're going to do it all the way. So going into my pregnancy, I had that in the back of my mind. I found out I was pregnant in early November and my wedding wedding I say that in quotes because we were already married. Our ceremony and our reception was scheduled for March. So um, my first trimester was absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. Like I lost close to 10 pounds because I was so sick. I could not keep crackers and water down. I am the type of person that will work literally till I drop. Um, I'm the type of person that doesn't call out of work just because like, I, until my first trimester, I could probably count on one hand the amount of times that I had called out of work. Um, so it was really hard for me constantly having to call out of work, um, not being able to eat like anything, just laying in bed exhausted from doing nothing. Like you wake up and you're just exhausted. Um, and that was, I would say a good five to six weeks of pregnancy, just kicking my rear, (laughs) Um, And then kind of like clockwork, everybody told me, you know, it'll be fine once you get to your second trimester, it'll be fine. So around Christmas, it was like a switch flipped, which I'm very grateful for because I actually had for the first and only time my entire family together for Christmas. And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to prepare for everything with them there? Um... And so I was able to have my brother, my sister-in-law, my mom, and my dad all in my house uh, for Christmas. It was a lot, but I was able to enjoy it and have that time with them. I actually found out on Christmas Day that I was pregnant with a boy. Again, Cheyenne helped me out with that. I had sent her the email about um, the results. And so I remember it was like Christmas Eve and you had texted me. You were like, "Um, I know it's really late. I think you had been working at CSU. And you're like, I know it's really late, but I got the email. I got the email when I was in my car leaving a shift at CSU. So it's like 11 p.m. And I'm leaving and I open the email and it little blue confetti come up and it says, boy. And I'm like, how am I going to keep this secret from Aurora for the next 12 hours? Yeah, exactly. So I remember you texted me and you were like, do you want to like do something right now? And I was sitting playing Cards Against Humanity with my family. And I was like, you know what? No, it's fine. Like, I'll just go to sleep. What's one more night? And yeah, we did a little gender reveal the next uh, day. So that was really cool. Um, So that kind of is my first trimester. It was really hard. I definitely relied on my husband a lot because I was so sick. And I think that an important thing to keep in mind is that when you get pregnant, everybody, you know, kind of glorifies it, which you should. It's a beautiful thing, but not everybody is going to feel like an angel and that the sun is shining on them. Uh, their entire pregnancy. It's okay to like not be glowing. (laughs) You know what I mean? So then uh, we can kind of go to the next uh, trimester of my pregnancy, which everybody says is the sweet spot. It's totally true. This was the only time that I felt like even half halfway okay. Um, Our wedding, like I said, was in March. So I wasn't quite showing. So I still felt really pretty in my wedding dress. It was an amazing day. Um, Cheyenne was my maid of honor. Christina and Joe were there. Um, it was it was just a beautiful day. And I incorporated Boudreaux into our wedding in a couple special ways. I had, you know, his name tooled on my um, bouquet wrap. And I wore a blue bee 
um, as my something blue. And it just made it even that much more special knowing that our son was kind of already with us um, for this ceremony and this celebration. So that was really cool to kind of experience a wedding pregnant. I didn't get to like drink and go crazy on the dance floor or anything, but you know. Um, So then going into my third trimester, I was absolutely miserable. I hated the way I felt. I, everything at, at work, I um, took an early maternity leave for other reasons, but I was just getting so miserable standing up and down, trying to being a vet tech and being pregnant. And especially me, I'm very tiny, like restraining dogs. it, It was just getting impossible. So I took an early Uh, maternity leave and was just trying to really enjoy these last couple months uh, as much as I could, even though, like I said, I hated the way that I felt. I hated the way that I looked. Uh, Everything was so much work. I can remember there was one time I was trying to reel up our hose for our barn and it's like a big heavy duty hose, which, you know, normal people, not a big deal. But I was so winded after reeling up this hose. And I literally just sat down and cried. And my poor husband was like, Oh, my God, what's wrong? Are you okay? Is the baby okay? And I was like, I'm just so tired of everything feeling like I'm running a marathon. So that was kind of the entirety of my pregnancy. There was a little sweet spot. But most of the time, not gonna lie, I was pretty miserable. Um, But that's okay. Not everybody's going to have this amazing pregnancy and feel great. And like, that's fine. That's something that I've learned. And I even have friends that are pregnant now. And they've reached out to me privately and said, you know, like, I just, I just am so miserable. I'm like, that's okay. Don't let society tell you that you have to have this long glowing hair and be rubbing your baby bump all day long. Like, it's okay. I promise you, like, don't let society dictate how you should feel, especially when you're feeling things about your own body. Well, and that's one thing that I have always loved about your story of your pregnancy, because you were so open about not feeling that. And just because you had a difficult pregnancy, and you were open about being okay with not being okay during your pregnancy, that doesn't make you love your son any less or love that journey any less. That just means that you were able to embrace that time that was so hard for you in order to go through that to have the gift that is your son. Yeah, exactly. And going into that, I'm not a super religious person by all means, but I do think that, you know, God was getting me ready for something that was even harder because now going into my birth, um, giving birth was the hardest thing that I have ever had to go through. And I had a C-section. So basically going into that, I was 40 plus five. So that means for people that aren't super, you know, good with pregnancy stuff, which I had no idea what people were talking about when they were like, you know, I'm this plus this, this was that. I was like, I don't know what that means. So that means I was five days over the like normal gestation time for a human. I was so miserable and I had tried everything. People, once you're pregnant, especially like, God love them, like all my mom's friends, all these ladies in like their 60s were telling me all these things that I need to do to go into labor. I will not go into them, but I tried all of them. The worst part is when they try to tell you to have sex because you're like, is that something I want to do right now? Absolutely not. Look at me. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just like, I tried all of them. I tried the ball. I tried the curb walking. I tried the tea. I tried eating spicy food. I was jogging my horse in doing laps around our arena. 
at 40 plus five. I was desperate. That's um, so cool. It's so, not, but it's so cool. I, it, I mean, it's cool if you know me. It's very Aurora. Um, so basically, at that time, my OB was like, yeah, you're not going to have this baby anytime soon. We need to schedule you for an induction. And I was like, oh, great. And actually, kind of going back to when I was riding super pregnant trying to get my baby out my mom and my husband were watching me and I know this now but my husband leaned over to my mom and said she's gonna have a c-section and my mom you know she's like oh we'll see like just need to give her time he knew so basically I went to the hospital on a Tuesday evening I gave birth in Granbury which is about 45 minutes away from my house in Stephenville So I had been spending nine months thinking like, oh my God, am I going to be able to make it? Like, what if my water breaks and I'm in the car and we have to do this whole drive? And yeah, that was not a problem. Just the average drive to Granbury on a Tuesday evening. So I went in, I was not even one centimeter dilated. Basically the way that that worked for me was after I had been, you know, gone through intake and everything, I'm, you know, laying in the bed, like watching trash TV on my laptop, Chris's TikToking on the couch in the room and so like okay since you're not even one centimeter dilated we're going to be giving you cervix softeners and I was like oh cool like is that like a drink I take or something it is not (laughs) the things they don't tell you when they're going to have a baby without getting too graphic basically a cervix softener is a little tiny tab that they have to put behind your cervix with their hands Um, so I had to do that twice. Um, so they checked me and then I was given two doses of a cervix softener, one at six and one at 10, which both of those, it's not a pleasant experience. Like I said, nobody warned me about that. So ladies, if you're pregnant and you're not dilated or you need some sort of help before you are going into active labor, please research cervix softeners and cervix checking. I had gone into the hospital because I was having some Braxton Hicks a couple weeks before and they checked me, um, checked my cervix, be more specific. Um, and I had no idea what that was and it was shocking to me. Um, so definitely I would suggest do your research. It is something that you do not have to have. So just make sure you do your research and you don't let anybody do something to you that you're not comfortable with. Obviously, once I was being induced, it's something they had to do to administer me this drug. But I'm really grateful that I had gone in a couple weeks prior so that I knew what to expect. So yeah, after my two doses, I was three centimeters by 2 a.m. And I decided to get my epidural then. I was actually texting Cheyenne. You were probably, were you at CSU working again? Because it was like the middle of the night. Yeah, I was at, I was doing an overnight shift that I was going to be off at 3am from. So I remember you were driving to Granbury when I started my shift and you're texting me throughout my shift. So I'm on the phone with you and nothing's happening. You're getting sleep. And I remember stuff started to pick up when I went home to go to sleep. And like I had said in this podcast before, I'd only get like three to four hours stretches of sleep at a time. I remember I was sleeping at my mom's house because I just brought the baby over here so I could get like decentish sleep. And I remember I was sleeping here and I was like, I need to sleep because I only get three to four hours of sleep. But I knew that you were going to have that baby when I was sleeping. Yeah. So I decided after talking to you um, to get the epidural because I was starting to feel my contractions and they don't feel good. You know, nothing ever really prepares you. I think that was my biggest question going into labor is like, what do contractions feel like? 
they're horrible. I had texted you and I was like, they said I can get my epidural. And you were like, do it, send it, go. And I was like, awesome. Okay. So I get my epidural, which was fine. Um, it's kind of intimidating because you like, I like to look because having the experience that I do in the vet med world, the human medicine world fascinates me as well. So I'm like, kind of like looking behind me as they're like pulling up, you know, the big old spinal needle and everything. My husband's sitting there watching me. He's actually had epidurals in the past for, you know, other reasons. So he was kind of enjoying watching the procedure being done on me. So it was around 2am. I had my epidural and I was great after that. You know, they had given me some fentanyl, which let me tell you, it was like magic. I was contracting. And then once I had my epidural and they pushed that drug, it was literally like the pain melted away from my body. And I was able to continue to rest. However, I would say probably about an hour or two later. Yeah, that would make sense because it was probably around 4 a.m. The nurses all started coming in and putting me in these different positions. And it's not like one nurse would come, right? It would. It was like four to five nurses. Like It was almost like I felt like the whole staff was coming to move me into these positions. And it's not like I'm a huge person. And I was like, this is kind of weird. Like, what's going on? So, you know, the first time they kind of put you on one specific side to see if, you know, you can labor a little bit easier. And they're doing this to try and um, make the baby's heart rate maintain and stay at a good place. And so the first time they all come in and I have an epidural, so I obviously cannot move really like I can't feel my legs. Um, So they're moving me on all these positions. They put me on my side. They leave me there for a couple minutes. They go away. They come back. All of them at the same time, like, okay, this isn't working. We need to move you again. Your baby's heart rate is still like irregular or or too slow or or whatever. I don't remember what it was, but they didn't like the way that Boudreaux's heart rate was presenting. So then next thing they sit me up in this, they called it princess style, which I was like, this I do not feel like princess. Um, so they have me literally like crisscross sitting straight up in bed, laboring like that. And then they're like, go ahead and get some rest. And I'm like, how am I supposed I'm like sitting straight up. I, I cannot rest, but okay, whatever. So I try to close my eyes. They go for five, 10 minutes. They come back again. They're like, okay, well, we still don't like what baby's doing. We're going to put you on your hands and knees. And I was like, like I said it out loud and Chris fell out laughing. I was like, like doggy style. Because I didn't know what they meant. And they were like, yes. And I was like, oh, okay. But again, I cannot feel my legs. So they are literally moving my legs to keep me, you know, up in this position. And then, you know, they just leave you and you're there with your butt all exposed and stuff and trying to sit on your hands and your knees. And it, it was just terrible. And I felt kind of humiliated. My husband was being as supportive as he could, but it just... It was terrible. So they leave me again for a couple minutes and then they come back and they're like, okay, well, baby's heart rate is still not consistent. I'm going to go talk to the doctor. Your contractions are too strong and they're too frequent. You're basically crushing your baby with your uterus. I'm going to go call the doctor on call and see if we can give you a reversal agent for your Pitocin, and uh, which I got when I got my epidural. Uh, And we're going to see if we can just stop your contractions for a couple hours, let you and baby rest, and then we'll pick back up and you can start pushing maybe in a couple hours. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I was chilling. I had an epidural. I couldn't feel my contractions anymore. I was, in all sense, I was tired, but I was pretty happy. So I sit back down and um, I kid you not, 
not even three minutes later, the nurse comes back in and she says, okay, well, the doctors decided that your best option is an emergency C-section. We're going to go ahead and start prepping you right now. That feeling, it was like the ground had been pulled out from under me. I had been psyching myself up for nine months to be able to give birth vaginally. And then it was just like someone pulled the rug out from under me. It was all just taken away from me. I started sobbing, hyperventilating. Um, I was telling my husband to call my mom and tell her I was so scared. And not to discredit the doctors and the nurses, you know, their bedside manner was fine, but they immediately went to work. Like, started putting my hair up, they gave Chris down. And and it was just crazy. The anesthesiologist came back and bumped my epidural so that literally I could not feel anything um, below my chest. It was it was very scary. Like I could not move. So, you know, you have that fight or flight and my flight was taken away. Um, so it was just chaos. And I, I think I kind of blacked out because I don't really remember a lot of the details. Um, I just remember people running around all over the place, prepping me, you know, hooking me up to different equipment, changing me onto different tables, wheeling me away. And, um, they wheel me into the operating room. That that whole process maybe took five minutes, you know, doctors and nurses are very skilled and they can get somebody into an OR very quickly. Um, it was probably not even five minutes that I had. And they were telling me, you know, you need to calm down, you need to calm down. And it was just, it was crazy. I, I was so scared. They told Chris, you know, you need to wait out here until we've made the first cut and then you can come in. So they separate me from my husband who, you know, is at that point in time, my, my, my lifeline, you know, he was sitting there trying to keep me as calm as he could. My husband does have combat experience from the military and he actually spent a very long time hospitalized. So he was very, very helpful for me in this situation. I think he related to me a lot because he has been through some pretty traumatic um, surgeries and stuff like that. That's a whole nother thing. Um, But basically I was separated from him and that made me feel even more vulnerable. Uh, When I close my eyes, I can remember the fluorescent lights as I got wheeled. um, I'm going to try not to cry as I got wheeled into the OR and um, they strapped my wrists down. And that to me was probably the most like degrading and traumatizing part of it all. And their reason was, so you're not tempted to like reach down there. And looking back, I'm like, why would anybody ever be tempted to reach down to their surgery site? But I guess they do it for a reason. You know, it, someone must have done it. Um, So they strapped me down like crucifix style to this table. They waited until then to catheterize me, which obviously I didn't feel. So I'm just like laying there staring at these surgical lights, you know, as they're doing all this stuff that I can't see. People are running around all around me. And basically after that, they checked like my skin all the way up my body, like tugged on my skin with surgical clamps to make sure I was numb or, you know, couldn't feel anything. And once I was okay with that, they made the cut and allowed Chris to come in and he came and sat by me. And like I said, I, I don't have a lot of memory of this, which I'll tell you why in a second it's because of a drug. But in a nutshell, the things that I remember are like tugging, tugging, tugging on the skin below like my chest. And I can remember kind of looking up and seeing them pull Boudreaux out by his leg so yank him up and I remember sitting there because you know as a mom Cheyenne you know the first thing you're like 
where is my baby going to cry? Is my baby going to cry? Is my baby going to cry? Um, so I'm like waiting there. He finally cries, which I mean, he, it was probably right away. But when you're sitting there in that moment, it's like an eternity. You're waiting for your baby to take his first breath and to cry. So he starts to cry and they take him over and Chris cuts the cord and they clean him off a little bit and they bring him over to me. And I can remember looking over to my left side and I reached my hand out and Bujo grabbed my finger. And I now have a B tattooed on my finger right there where he grabbed me. Um, and that was kind of the last thing I really remember before I started experiencing this extremely violent shaking, which I guess is kind of a side effect from all the drugs that you get when you get a C-section. I think, I don't want to say something that's not true, but I think it's primarily related to the fentanyl. Um, so I have this uncontrollable shivering, like my jaw is starting to lock up because I'm shaking so much. Um, you know, they're trying to close my sutures and they're telling me like, oh, you need to try and hold still. And I'm like, I literally can't control these convulsions. And I'm getting exhausted because my muscles are just racking themselves. Right. So I asked the anesthesiologist, I'm like, can you do something about this? He's like, yeah, I can, but it's probably going to really mess with your memory. Like it, it's going to knock you out. And I was like, just do it. Like I can't handle this shaking anymore. Um, so he pushes this drug called Demerol. That's the uh, trade name for it. I don't remember what the actual name is, but it's traded by calling it's called Demerol. Um, and it was immediate, like, almost like, you know, at the end of a cartoon where they like put the black circle until it's like a little tiny circle and then blacks out. That's like literally what happened. Um, and I could still hear everything going on around me. It was like I was in a coma. Um, I could still hear everything going around me, people talking, pe you know, the doctors working. I could, I remember hearing them count sponges and clamps, um, so it, it was just really crazy and it felt like it was um, hours when it was really in reality only probably 20 minutes. And I specifically remember a nurse saying, Aurora, uh, stay with us. Are you with us? Stay with us. And at that point, I'm in my head like having this internal monologue and I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying. Like I am dying. I need to fight. See, I'm going to cry again because I obviously have some PTSD from this. Um, and I just remember thinking that I had to fight to be able to see my son again. So that is an extremely traumatic experience that I went through. Um, like I said, I felt like I was fighting for my life for hours when in reality it was like 20 minutes. But that drug, if you ever, anybody listening to this, if you ever have a C-section, think twice before you ask for that drug. It is called Demerol. And I don't know if it's just me in this reaction that I had or if it's more common, but this feeling changed my life. So I knew that I had to fight because I legitimately thought that I was dying and that I was never going to get to see my son, that I was never going to get to hold him. So moving forward from that, you know, I wake up. It had only been like 20 minutes, uh, but I, I kind of remember like trying to sit up, trying to move and reaching out for my husband and my husband came over to me. He was like, you're okay. You're right here. And the first things I said is, is Boudreaux okay? And he was like, he's fine. He's literally laying in the little plastic crib thing, you know, that they give for the babies. He's right here. He's okay. And then I said, am I okay? And he's like, you're fine, babe. You, you're okay. You, you did 
you did perfect. So it was at that moment that I kind of like took a big sigh of relief and was able to relax and not try to fight so hard to wake up because I was still very just blurry. And I kind of just laid there for a minute and, and gave myself a couple minutes to come to. Uh, I was finally able to breastfeed for the first time two hours later. Um, I didn't get to do golden hour, which if you've ever had a baby or if you're pregnant or expecting or wanting to, golden hour is the time, like the first, I think it's the first hour um, after your baby's born that you're supposed to do skin to skin and have that like first moment with your child. I didn't get to do that because I was literally comatose. Um, so I'm incredibly lucky that I had a husband who stepped up. He did skin to skin with Boudreaux and he spent the entire golden hour with him. And then a couple hours later, when I had control over my arms, I felt confident enough to hold him and he latched beautifully, which I know you haven't talked about it on the podcast, Cheyenne, but I know you have talked about it on your socials, uh, your struggles with breastfeeding. I am so grateful that my child latched so well and has been a breastfeeding champion and that my body has been able to keep up because my birth was so terrible. My breastfeeding journey has kind of made up for that and has allowed me to bond with my son. And I am still to this day breastfeeding. My son is, he was nine months old two days ago and he's still, I would say 80 to 85% breastfed. So my body failed me at one task, but was able to provide for my son and another. Um, so that's kind of my entire journey, C-section and immediately post-C-section. There's a couple other things that nobody tells you about. Um, I guess it would happen after a major surgery too, but um, a few hours after my surgery, when they were trying to make me walk, I noticed that I was having these pains in my shoulders. Like it felt like I had just been beaten up, but only in my shoulders. It was crazy. And so I had said to the nurse, like, oh, I think I must have like slept wrong or something. My neck and my shoulders are, are really hurt. And she's like, oh no, that's gas pain. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, when your abdomen's open, you know, obviously your abdominal cavity gets full of air and that air travels upwards and it kind of like harbors in your shoulders until it dissipates. Who knew? I didn't know. So yeah, that's basically, um, I say in a nutshell, but I feel like that was like a 30 minute story. <laughs> That's basically my birth story. And um, I want to put it out there because I was kind of blindsided by it. And I don't ever, ever want even my worst enemy to have to go through that kind of experience that I did. Well, Christina and I were kind of um, wiping tears away during you telling that because of how moving that story is. And even being your best friend and hearing that story a couple of times from you, um, I was just really heartbroken that you had to go through that. And I, like you said, wish no one in the world has to go through that. And all of the pain and the suffering and the hardship that you went through in that birth, it just makes that one picture of you holding him the first time that much sweeter to me because I remember Chris sent me that picture. That's what I woke up to that morning. And if you're okay with it, we can share it on our Instagram and show that picture, but you just look so tired and so exhausted, but so happy at the same time with Boudreaux on your chest. And that picture just means that much more after hearing that story. Yeah, definitely. You know, because I mean, even though you were, you know, 
in a different area of the country, you were right there with me the entire time. So yeah, once you kind of know the story behind that picture, it does uh, make it mean that much more. You're absolutely correct. Wow. And this is actually the first time I've heard your whole birth story. Like we've talked about a little bit, uh, bits and pieces here and there, but this is the first time I've heard the the whole story. Um, so I was also tearing up a little bit. Yeah. Doesn't it make you want to go have a baby? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and kind of transitioning a little bit, something that you've been really open about experiencing, um, you know, per- post-birth is the postpartum anxiety, if you want to share a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. Um, So postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression are extremely common and don't always present stereotypically. Um, Like postpartum depression isn't just like, oh, I don't feel connected to my baby. It's so much more than that. Um, I'm lucky enough that I did not experience postpartum depression. However, I am diagnosed and still dealing with postpartum anxiety um, I grew up in a conservative family, and this isn't a knock on my family at, at all, but it's just, I think, a product of how they were brought up. We didn't talk a lot about mental health, and that's okay. We were just kind of a suck it up and, you know, move on kind of family. Um, but I'm kind of overcoming that state of mind and moving forward in my adult life, taking some precautions to where I kind of don't just put a Band-Aid on my mental health. I want to be proactive with it and fix it in a positive way. Um, So basically, I was feeling just a mess. About three to four months was the hardest time for me. Even harder now, my son just became mobile and I'm chasing him around everywhere and my life is absolute chaos. But three to four months for me was just, it was terrible. I felt like 14 hours a day, I just held this baby and then my husband would come home from work and even be like, hey, babe, give me a hug. And I would be like, don't touch me. Like, I've just felt smothered. I have this baby in my arms all day. I'm exhausted. You know, I, I haven't showered in three days. It was just, it was a really rough time because at that age, they still rely on you for so much, but like they can't even sit up. So it's it's just crazy. I was having all these intrusive thoughts, which is something that's really, really scary. You know, it's not necessarily like, oh, I have this knife. I want to stab my baby. It's more like, oh my God, I'm holding this knife. And what if somehow this knife flies out of my hand and it somehow hurts my baby? You know, it's like these crazy situations that would never happen and literally can never happen. Like I'm holding something and I'm holding my baby in the other arm. Literally nothing is going to make me harm my baby, but it's like, what it it's just these crazy things that you dream up in your mind about the welfare of your baby. You know, you're driving and, and you're white knuckling your steering wheel because every single car that passes you is a potential threat to your baby. So I was just always, always on edge. I couldn't sleep. When I did sleep, my teeth, I was grinding my teeth and clenching my jaw so hard that I would wake up like with cramps in my jaw muscles. I was having nightmares when I did sleep. I've always bit my nails and pulled my cuticles off, but I was literally pulling my cuticles off until every single one of my fingers were bloody. It was not fun. And it took a very rough conversation with my husband, um, who also battles with his own mental health with PTSD and anxiety and stuff like that. It took him sitting me down and saying, babe, I really think that you need to do something about this. And that was really hard because I felt like I was failing as a mother because 
I had made the decision to get help and to whether that was, you know, get put on medicine or talk to somebody. I felt like I was failing as a mother because I needed to do that. So it took a couple days for me to kind of be okay with that decision. I called my doctor. I went and talked to him. He referred me to a counselor and also put me on some anti-anxiety medicine, which I went in with the mindset of I'm not going on medicine. And through his, obviously he's a doctor. He went to school. This is his professional opinion. He said, I really think that you should do this. You don't have to take these for the rest of your life. You don't even have to take these for the rest of the month. You can take these for a couple weeks. And if you don't like them, you can get off of them. But you need to explore this avenue. I did a lot of soul searching and I had to come to terms with the fact that just because I was on meds didn't make me any less of a mother. It didn't make me any less of a wife and it didn't make me any less of a person. Um, It actually made me a better version of all three of those because I was willing to do that to be the best wife I could, to be the best mother I could, and to be the best version of myself. Um, so I was on an antidepressant slash anti-anxiety medicine for about two months and I developed a little bit of an eye twitch from it. It's super common. I did some research and I talked to my doctor and he was like, well, you can either, you know, try and play with the dose, like maybe one every other day or just wean yourself off of it and see what happens. If you really don't like the eye twitch that much, which it was getting really annoying. I was like, every time I looked up, my eye would like freak out. It was not fun. So I just stopped them cold turkey and I haven't gone back on them. I feel great. I'm happy. I'm excited to wake up every day and make new memories with my son. But it was so important for me to make that decision. You know, I think one thing throughout my story, if anybody gets anything from this, it's to be your own self-advocate because if you don't do it for yourself, I don't think anybody else is going to do it for you. So it just takes you being your own biggest self-advocate to make those choices. And once you become a mother, it's not just about you anymore. It's about your baby and your family. And I knew that this was the best avenue for my family. Aurora, your postpartum journey has on top of your birth story, then something else that someone can get so much value from. Like even me, I experienced postpartum anxiety for only a couple of weeks after my daughter was born. And I just remember not being able to sleep for two weeks straight and literal exhaustion setting in, the nightmares, all of that. I couldn't imagine what you went through experiencing that for months at a time. And like I said, I just think people can get so much value from you sharing these stories. And thank you for being so vulnerable on here. We, you know, you, no one needs to come on here and and spill their life story like this. And we just so appreciate you willing to share to help other people. And that being said, kind of like wrapping up, um, we've been talking for forever and I know that people are just going to love this episode, but to end it on a more up lighter note, so people can know a little bit more about, um, a little bit more about you. What is a day in the life like for you and and what's coming up next for you? Yeah, of course. Um, So day in the life for me is basically just ranch mom. You know, I am at home. My husband works full time and I'm at home basically juggling barn chores, baby wrangling, homework. Um, I go to Tarleton State part time at the moment. So I am just trying to, you know, juggle mom life, school life, wife life, 
keeping a tidy house. I'm a kind of have borderline OCD. Uh, if you've ever been in my house, you know that like if there's one thing out of place, I am unhappy. So keeping my house clean is a full-time job. I have four dogs that shed a lot. So I'm always sweeping so that my baby isn't like literally a giant fur ball after crawling around. Um, my biggest hobby right now would probably be my flag team that keeps me busy. Just like Cheyenne is on the Colorado stars and stripes. I'm a member of our CC, uh, PRA flag team, which is the cowboy capital, uh, professional rodeo association flag team. We run the flags for the rodeo here in Stephenville, and we are involved in a lot of other events throughout the year, parades and fundraisers and stuff like that. So that's my main hobby right now. Um, it keeps me busy. It's allowing me to be horseback without being a serious competitor or anything because, you know, I'm not Jackie Crawford. I can't have all these kids and be in the NFR and do all this stuff. She's a rock star, but for me, I'm good ranch mom and run my flags. Love that so much. And I love too that um, now that we get to spend a little bit more time together getting to see you um, be such an amazing mom and enjoying all these different things in ranch life. Um, and I'm also excited for you to share kind of just what you have coming up next for you. Yeah. So like I said, I am currently enrolled at Tarleton State. I am pursuing my bachelor's in agricultural services and development. Uh, that takes up a lot of time. My parents are actually about to move out here so that I can have free childcare and go back to school full time because getting my bachelor's is my goal in my life right now. Um, and then I mentioned briefly at the beginning that I do have a mini Hereford that I am looking to breed. So she is going to be the uh, kind of first little uh, first pregnancy, first kind of breeding is going to be the start to my small, very small right now cattle company that I've called Boudreaux's Bovines. Uh, I will be breeding show quality mini Herefords. She's actually going to leave next month to go on a little um, romantic escapade and get pregnant. And then hopefully in nine more months, we will have a little baby calf, a little mini Hereford calf, and I can start my breeding program from there. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that because whether Boudreaux likes it or not, he will be showing mini Herefords in the future. <laughs> and then um, I said that I had three horses. I have two horses at my house and my horse, who is... Um, a stud that I just picked up earlier this year. He's in training right now, but my goal for next year is to be showing ranch versatility on him full time. So pretty much at least one show a month so that I can be competitive. Um, so that's something I'm really looking forward to next year to get back being horseback and being competitive on him. He is my dream horse. So I'm super excited for that. Well, Aurora, we're so thankful that you were able to share your stories, like we said, and kind of give us a little insight to what's to come. One thing that we love to ask all of our guests on here is what is the biggest thing that people can take away from your story and what the one thing that people can learn from your story? Yeah, um, I think I touched on it a couple times, but just to summarize, I think the two things, I, I have to have two because I couldn't pick one, um, be your own biggest advocate. Don't be afraid to take that step to, you know, accomplish something, to reach out. Don't be afraid. And then also don't be afraid to take the road less traveled. Don't let other people dictate the order in which you should do things or how you should do them. Love that. Such good advice 
Thank you again so much for being on here today. I love listening to your whole story and hearing more about um, your birth and all the amazing things that you have to share with our listeners. We're so grateful to have you here today as a guest. And so just wrapping up today's episode, um, we will have a new episode releasing next week, next Wednesday. So follow us on socials, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And thank you all so much for listening. See you guys next week. Thank you.